Uh, pray for Pastor as he travels. I always, I'm always nervous when Pastor travels uh, because it's so easy to, to get in an accident or have, have something happen. And, of course, if something happens to Pastor, that means I got a lot more work, and I try to avoid that when I can. Uh, but you pray for him that he'll get home safely. And, um, you know, I was thinking as we were just singing that song, Be Strong, Be Strong in the Lord. And that, that's what we need to be. Uh, America is in troubled times uh, economically, and, and we, we face a lot of uh, changes in our um, temper, temperature and, and society and the things that are happening. And, and we just need to be strong. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to remember that God is still on his throne and that the Lord will provide for his people. So we need to have that confidence. Uh, I also I love that song, A Sinner Saved by Grace, because that's what, that's what we all are. We're just sinners, and if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us would, would be here tonight. So we need to remember that, uh, that all that, that we have and all that we are is because of the goodness of God, and we need to never forget that. And it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to go through life and forget all about God. But this is all about God. Uh, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, everything we are and everything we have, we owe to God. So let's not forget that as God's children. All right, if you would, please take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight as we read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and I'm going to, to just save a little time. I'm not going to read all 15 verses. I'll begin at verse 5 if you would, with me. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth, and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for this time we have together. Lord, we owe everything to you. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the worship. We can withhold nothing from you, for you alone are worthy. We ask tonight that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and strengthen us and teach us. And I pray tonight that we would learn the importance 
of being one body in the church and laboring together as your husbandry, as your spiritual building. Speak to our hearts and minds tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The mineral pyrite, or iron pyrite, is an iron sulfide with the formula FES2. This mineral's metallic luster and pale to normal brass yellow hue have earned it the nickname fool's gold due to its resemblance to gold. Pyrite is the most common of the sulfide minerals. And tonight I've entitled my message Fool's Gold. Most of us here have heard stories associated with fool's gold. To the untrained eye, this mineral deposit can appear to be the real thing. Men historically have thrown everything they own into staking a claim just to have the ore turn up to be fool's gold. In the passage of Scripture we read just a moment ago, Paul warns us about building upon the wrong foundation. As he admonishes us in this truth, he makes mention of two separate mediums by which we may build upon this foundation that is laid. And those two mediums are gold, silver, or precious uh, stones. And the other medium is wood, hay, or stubble. Now, I have heard many messages preached on this passage of Scripture apply to the individual works of each Christian. And certainly I agree that each of us will stand before the Lord to, be, to, to, to have our works tried. And, and the works that we perform for the Lord will stand, and the works that we perform in the flesh will not stand. However, when we consider the context of this, message, of this passage of Scripture, what we find is that Paul is discussing the church. He is not talking about each individual Christian's personal works. Rather, he is discussing the works of the, of the body, the local body of, of the local church, and its, its pastor or its bishop. Paul is saying that he, as the apostle to the Gentile nations, built upon the foundation delivered to him, the true gospel of Christ. And now, we as a church are to build upon that same foundation. In other words, we are to remain faithful to the true doctrines of grace, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, remember just a moment ago, we said that just as with fool's gold, things are not always what they appear to be. And this is often true with churches today. From the outside, churches may appear to be right. They may have the appearance of being doctrinally correct. They may appear to be gold, silver, or precious jewels. But upon closer examination, we find that they are actually built upon wood, hay, and stubble. Over the past 29 years of ministry, I have seen people invest their entire life into a ministry or into a church built upon wood, hay, and stubble. And one day they wake up to find their entire life's investment devoured by the fires of tribulation and affliction. You see, when exposed to fire, fool's gold is not purified. 
Rather, it is separated or broken down into its individual components, iron and sulfur. It has no cohesiveness. Each element seeks to exist separate from the other. While gold and silver and precious jewels, each being a single element, pure, inseparable, and of great worth, is purified and strengthened by the same process. Churches built upon the foundation of the pure gospel can withstand the fires of tribulation and come through the fires purified and strong, while churches built upon fool's gold are broken down by these same fires. As believers, it is our responsibility to ensure that our work as a church, as a body of believers, is not invested in fool's gold. So given this information, let us examine our work. Let us examine the works that we do as as a collective body of believers and see if it be of gold, silver, and precious stones or of wood, hay, and stubble. Now, as we examine our church tonight, as we examine the work that we invest into our church, the first thing we must consider is our doctrine. So Roman numeral one on your study sheets is we must consider our doctrine. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, we read, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, upon examining this scripture, I find that every spirit mentioned here uh, in, in this, John means every Doctrine as coming from or pretended to come from the Spirit of God or every teacher who professes to be qualified and sent by him and to have his light, his knowledge, and his doctrine from the Holy Spirit. But John admonishes us to try those spirits, to try those doctrines, to try those teachings and ensure that they are from the Lord. Listen, Christian, when you come to church, you ought to have a Bible. You ought to open that Bible. And before services start, you ought to ask and pray to the Holy Spirit that he will reveal truth unto you, because that is one of his works. Jesus said he will reveal truth. He'll never lead us into error. Every true minister of the gospel has the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Spirit. And these are they which qualify him for his work. He is separated and called to it by the Holy Spirit and receives his spiritual knowledge from the same Spirit. It is he that teaches sound doctrine and leads his church members into all truth. Now, there are many characteristics to true doctrine, far too many for me to list them all tonight. So for time's sake, I will focus on two which are applicable to the text I've chosen tonight. So letter A on your study sheets is this. The characteristic of our doctrine's foundation. It's foundation. Now, I used to be a carpenter, and and, and I've built many houses in my life. And the very first thing that we must do when building a house is to lay the foundation. The foundation is the strength of the house. And such is true in our churches across America. The strength of our churches lays... Uh, depends upon the foundation that is laid. 
In 1 Corinthians 3.11, we read, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. A house built on a faulty foundation will not stand. It will fall, and great will be its fall. Turn with me, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Let's all turn together to Matthew chapter 7. Now, I'm going to do my best to speak quickly, so you have to listen quickly. If you don't listen quickly, it's not my fault. Matthew chapter 7. And I'll begin reading at verse number 24. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we see here that the Lord implores us in this verse that we heed the truth of the gospel, that we heed the words of our Savior. When establishing a foundation to build a house, we had to remove everything that would weaken it. We would, we would go to the site of the house and we would... We would have to remove all of the, 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 the wood in the ground, all of the, all of the imperfections in the ground that would weaken the, the, the ultimate foundation. All of that had to be taken out before we could lay the foundation. Such it is with the Christian life. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And Paul says, uh, remember, we are a new creature and once we get saved, Paul says we are to put off the old man. We are, to, we are to remove the influence of the old man in our lives. But then, after we removed all of those things that would damage the foundation, we had to add some things. We had to add things to the foundation to give it strength. We had to add things such as uh, reinforcement bars and wire mesh and gravel and all these things had to be added. And Paul tells us in verse 24 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, and that ye put on the new man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So allow me to share three key ingredients found in the foundation of our doctrine. Number one is this, the Word of God. In John chapter 17 and verse 17 we read, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. All that we believe tonight rests upon the inspired, inerrant, and immutable Word of God. The foundation upon which we build our lives, upon which we build our church, it gains its strength and gains its authority from the Word of God. Not from a book that we've written, not from another testament, but from the inerrant, infallible, perfect, and holy Word of God. This is the strength of our foundation. Listen, I don't know about you tonight, 
But everything I believe can be confirmed with, Thus saith the Lord. And our strength as a church, our strength as individual Christians, rests in the Word of God. But there's a second key ingredient found in our doctrine, in the foundation of our doctrine. And number two, that is the witness of the apostles. In 1 John chapter 1, in verse 1, John writes, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John said, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled with our own hands, the gospel, the teachings and the very sayings of Christ, the witness of the apostles confirms and verifies our doctrine tonight. Now consider this. Either the written testimony of the apostles is based upon truth and is undeniable and unquestionable, or these men, these 12 men collaborated to produce the greatest lie ever conceived. So what do you believe tonight? We have the witness of these 12 men, all in complete agreement and harmony concerning doctrinal truth. Twelve witnesses. Now suppose you were on trial tonight, and suppose the district attorney could produce 12 eyewitnesses confirming your crime. What chance do you think you would have of acquittal? With 12 eyewitnesses, you wouldn't have much of a chance at all. Yet the world denies the witness of these men. And the world would accuse them of lying and fabricating lies. These witnesses, the witnesses of these men is a great part of the strength of our doctrine. But then there's a third key ingredient in the strength of our doctrine tonight, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God, we have the witness of the apostles, and thirdly, we have the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, I realize that to the unbeliever tonight, all of this is just idle chatter. These things will not change his opinion of truth. However, to us as believers, we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may, that we be also glorified together. Listen, I know I'm a child of God tonight. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm a child of God tonight, because the Holy Spirit bears witness in my spirit that I am his child. And if you sit here tonight, and you cannot with with surety, and with, with a firm, uh, firm heart, say, I have that witness, I feel that witness in my heart, then you need to seek the Lord because the the, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And the strength of our doctrine, the strength of the truth we believe, 
is rested upon and founded in the word of God, in the witness of the apostles, and in the work of the Holy Spirit. No argument or influence on earth tonight can change my beliefs. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. In 1 John chapter 5, in verses 5 and 6, we read, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. These three, the Word of God, the witness of the apostles, the work of the Holy Spirit, these are the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels of our doctrine. Then concerning our doctrine, we must also consider its function. Not only its foundation, but its function. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Let's all turn together to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and let's begin reading at verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn, uh, that they, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, there are, there are three things I want to mention here that we find concerning the, the function of our doctrine. First of all, it's to exemplify. We saw in, in, second, in Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Doctrine serves to guide us. It is a map, if you will. It is a road map to lead us to the will of God. And, and one of the functions of our doctrine is to exemplify the truth of God, to be examples. That's what he told Timothy, um, or, or he told Titus, showing thyself a pattern of good works. But not only is it to exemplify, but secondly, it's to exhort. Verses 9 and 11, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Now, one of the saddest results of the doctrine of the Arminian tonight is that it breeds generations of people who believe that God is out to get them. Did you hear what I said? They believe that bad things happen because we're bad. So if you get a flat tire on the way home tonight, it's because you've been bad and God's punishing you. That's what they believe. They posture God as a warden, a prison warden, standing by waiting to punish you when you do wrong. Well, if I am correct, 
You can correct me after services if I'm wrong, but God saved us to keep us from the wages of sin, did he not? Not to punish us at every turn. God doesn't have to punish you, by the way, because sin is its own enforcer. That's what he tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Listen, my doctrine is, not, my doctrine is one of encouragement. It is one that challenges me to grow in grace and in the image of Christ. It is not a doctrine that threatens me. It is one that motivates me. And we must understand tonight that the, the, the function of, of good doctrine is to exhort believers to walk in the image of Christ. And then thirdly, the third function is to educate. To educate. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 14. Teaching us, Paul wrote, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify him to himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, notice the words on the screen, teaching us. But how can one teach pure doctrine unless they have pure doctrine? We are admonished to study and teach God's word, which is, by the way, our doctrine. So first, we must consider our doctrine. Then secondly, number two tonight, let me say we must consider our motives. When considering whether our ministries are built upon gold, silver, and precious stones, or upon wood, hay, and stubble, we must consider our motives in, in, in serving the Lord. Now the definition of motive is that which may or ought to incite to action. In Matthew chapter 11 we read, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? You notice three times Jesus asked them, what did you go to, what did you go to see? What did you go to see? What did you go to see? In other words, what's your motive? Why do you come to Berean Baptist Church? Is it for the social activities? Is it because we have children's programs? Is it to get a discount on your school tuition? Why do you come? And what keeps you here? Well, I suppose I can answer that question tonight by what it takes to cause you not to come. Thank you. I will. What keeps you from attendance and your responsibilities in this church? Is it overtime hours so you can buy that next toy? Is it a day at the beach or the lake? Is it a family gathering? Our motives as a church family must be the right motives. We must do what we do for the right reasons. So what would be the right reasons for being a part of Berean Baptist Church? Well, let me give you some thoughts. First, letter A, be to glorify Christ. We should be a member of the local church to glorify the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I fear far too many of our brethren are seeking to exalt themselves rather than God. This is seen today by the entourage following those who would label themselves as national pastors. And by the way, that office is not found in the scriptures. Each local church has its own shepherd. And no one is is appointed by God to be the national pastor. These stand in the holy office of the preacher of the word of God and desire and covet the praise of men. And if you don't believe me, go to any fundamental Baptist conference and watch these men as they stand and accept the praise and the accolades of, of, of all the men present in the sight of their God. They stand and accept the applause of the crowd. I went to a conference not, not, not even 100 miles from here once, and the pastor of that church stood up and said, Michael Jackson received a 10-minute ovation, so we should give this man, and I won't name the preacher, although you all know him, uh, we should give this man at least 15 minutes, and they did. I couldn't believe it. 15 minutes. And he just stood there and let them clap and let them clap and let them clap and let them clap. And all the while, the angels in heaven had their swords drawn, ready to go and, and, and slice that man in half because he was stealing the glory of God. Neither that pastor nor the guest preacher asked the crowd to give God praise and glory for even one second. I had, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. Our churches are too often guilty of praising the man of God instead of praising the God of man. The purpose in all that we do as a church should be to glorify and honor the name of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15 that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet those that truly seek to glorify God are in the minority. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, and beginning at verse 12, we read, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Our motive should be to glorify God. Then secondly, our motive should be to gather the elect. I realize that's a dirty word in Baptist circles, but it's a beautiful word here. To gather the elect. Luke chapter 10, we read, And after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now listen, folks, the Great Commission is a primary directive of the church. It is not a sideline. It is not even an option. 
The Great Commission encompasses the entire mission of the church. Go, he said. So we're to go. We're to witness and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're to go. We're to witness. We're to baptize and we're to teach. And that's the whole mission of the church. And it should be our motive to be an active part of every aspect of the church's mission. Soul winning, discipleship, worship, tithing, all of it together, combined, is to be our, our, our reason for serving God. So our motives, our motives should be, first of all, to glorify Christ, secondly, to gather the elect, and thirdly, to grow in knowledge and grace. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. You know what I love about Paul's writing? All the way through, he glorifies the Lord and admonishes us to give glory unto God. And we are to grow. Far too many Christians have become content to come and be taught rather than to study and teach. In our text verses uh, tonight, I didn't read the first four verses, but in those verses, Paul, Paul talks about the fact that, that, that they should be, uh, th- that he couldn't speak to them expound upon the great doctrine to them because they, while they should be teaching, they have need that others teach them. We're to grow. Hebrews chapter 5, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Can you imagine being 52 years old, that's what I am, and sit down and have to be, have to be nursing on a bottle? Because I never grew teeth. But that's how Christians are. The, you know what? The average Christian wouldn't know truth if it slapped them in the face. Because they never study the word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not your, listen, it's not the preacher's job to teach you everything. It's his job to preach, which means to stir to action. It's your job to go home and study so that you can teach others also. Our, our goal should be to grow. It should be the desire and intent of every member of Berean Baptist Church to be students of God's word, ever increasing in our understanding, each day more and more being conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is your motivation tonight for being a part of this church? Then lastly tonight, I want to consider our service. I want to consider our service. In John chapter 4, we read, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, I've already skirted around this point tonight, so I won't belabor it too far. However, I do want to make two observations concerning our service to the Lord through the local church ministry. Number one, letter A, it must be sincere. Our service must be sincere. In Joshua chapter 24, 
In verse 14, Joshua states, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Sincerity, Joshua said. Sincerity is the quality of being open and truthful, not deceitful and not hypocritical. And truth, according to Webster, means fidelity and constancy. So from these definitions, we can see that our service uh, to the Lord should be without ulterior or selfish motives and should be faithfully performed. We should serve the Lord with the intent of openly and honestly exalting His name and glorifying Christ, our Savior. Not to promote ourselves, not to gain favor on a personal basis, but with a sincere desire to glorify and honor God because He is worthy to be served. It must be sincere. And then, secondly, our service must be in singleness of heart. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Now, singleness means to concentrate on one central objective. Isn't that beautiful? As, as members of God's family, as members of the church, we should live for that one single central objective. And that is to serve the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. Yes, we must work jobs and we must provide for our families. But even in those jobs, we are to serve as though we're serving the Lord himself. Everything we do should be with the Lord in mind. Now, it's kind of hard to do things with the Lord in mind when we're sinning. It's kind of hard to do things with the Lord in mind when we've, when we've placed our loyalties in other things. Listen, we're not to be torn between loyalties. The way to properly maintain one, one's loyalty is to have the right priorities concerning church and the Lord. Now listen, don't anyone get mad at me. I'm probably about to step on a few toes, but I'm here to preach. I'm not here to please. I'm going to tell you something. Sunday is the Lord's day. Nothing takes priority over this. My responsibilities to my church on Sunday take priority over any other responsibility. And according to the Word of God, even my family. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, we read, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Now hold on, before anybody panics and breathes and runs out of here screaming like crazy. This word hate does not mean that we are to hate these people. For this would be contrary to the laws and teachings of Christ. Rather, it means that we are to prefer Christ above anyone else. That we are to love Christ more than these. I love my wife. My wife is sitting back here tonight. I love her. My son's back there. I love my son. My daughter's in the nursery. I love my daughter. But listen. They're not my Savior. They're not my God. I will do anything for my family, but folks, we ought to obey God rather than men. And God is first. And we're to keep that perspective correct. 
We are to love Christ more than these. And when and if these would stand in the way of obeying, honoring, or glorifying Christ, then they are to be neglected and even, according to God's word, forsaken. And as pastor preached recently, if you can't submit to that, then step away from leadership and let someone who is prepared to sincerely serve step up to the plate. Now, unless you're you're providentially hindered, preachers should be in church on Sunday, morning and evening. You know, the disciples met morning and evening in the first church. And the Lord appeared to them morning and evening. You haven't fulfilled your duties just by coming in the morning. There's no duties anyway. We don't do it out of duty. We do it out of honor for God and out of obedience to the Word of God. Deacons should be in church on Sunday, morning and evening. If you're not going to be, then have enough, have enough dignity and enough honor for God to say, I can't fulfill my duty. I'll step aside and let someone else have it. Now, this isn't going to be popular preaching, I'm sure, but it's truth. Amen? Sunday school teachers should be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Christian school teachers should be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Pioneer club leaders and pioneer club teachers should be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Ushers should be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And every member of the local church should be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Why is it that we're too sick to go to church, but we're not too sick to go to work? Is work more important than worshiping God? We're, not too, we're never too sick to go to the, to, the, to the sporting events. We're never too sick to go to the movie. We're never too sick to go to the beach. But we're too sick to come sit down in the pew for one hour and listen to preaching of the Word of God. So let's not go around saying, we build our church on on. on Gold, silver, and precious jewels when we sit at home. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Do you know why God repeatedly allowed Israel to fall into captivity? There were two main reasons. Forsaking the Sabbath and robbing the tithe. That's why God allowed them to fall into captivity. And you know why so many of us fail to be blessed by the Lord in our local churches? Because we're forsaking the Lord's day and we're robbing the tithe. Serve the Lord in sincerity and in singleness of heart. Then our service to the Lord, then our service to the Lord will be acceptable in his sight. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, folks, I got a little excited tonight because nothing stirs me up more than seeing people who are not committed and loyal and faithful to the local church. You know, Jesus died for the church. The church is his bride. He loves the church. He tells us that in Scripture. And you know what? I I love whatever Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. And you are the church. And we have a responsibility as God's children, to be faithful and loyal to our local church. Fool's goal. What do you have tonight? Fool's goal or gold, silver, and precious jewels? I'm happy to say tonight that 
Berean Baptist Church is not a fool's gold church. It is not a church built upon wood, hay, and stubble. It is a church built upon gold, silver, and precious jewels. It is a church built upon the true doctrines of Christ, the one sure foundation. Praise God. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then you would see the miracle of love that brought me in his sweet embrace. And now I am just a sinner saved by grace. How can we not love the Lord? How can we possibly sit in these pews with all the blessings we receive from God and lay out a church and not serve him? And and, and not study his word, not have the right motives. You know, we deserve judgment in America. We do. God's people have forsaken him. And it's time. It's time that we live for God because he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, please strengthen our church. Help Berean to be a church built upon the gold and silver and precious jewels, not a church built upon wood, hay, and stubble. Help us, Lord, to always have the right doctrine and to proclaim the the right doctrine at all times. Help us, Lord, to serve in in this church and and to conduct our the ministries of this church with the right motive for the right reason to glorify you to gather the elect and to grow in grace and then lord help us to serve help us to be to be to serve sincerely in this church for your glory and for your honor because you are worthy and to serve in singleness of heart having nothing before you no loyalties apart from you And then, Lord, we can stand and we can proclaim that we are building upon the right foundation. Bless everyone here tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words that I spoke would have been delivered by you into the hearts of God's children. And if there be any here tonight who who are not saved, that you would convict their heart, that that you would redeem them, that you would quicken them and reveal to them the truth of the gospel that we might all rejoice in your grace and we might all go forth and witness and teach as you would have us to do. Thank you for this time. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.